Yeah, okay, kisses. Down to business. Let's get down to business, kisses. This is a heroin song written by what, Fred Neal, made famous by uh, Lucas Skew. I think it's everybody's talking at me. I don't know what they're saying. Negative energy, everybody. It's the Healing Club starting out with negative energy. Nothing good. Nobody likes me. My name is Bob Morrissey. Spill the beans, Bob. Talking about my problems. My whole personality is selfish. Yeah. <laughs> Reflections upon a vanished self. Ooh. Yeah. I used to have a podcast called Ruined Hopes with a guy I'm not friends with anymore. Weird that I'm not friends with him anymore. Why do I have broken relationships? Shattered friendships. Is that my beer or your beer? That was my other podcast with Scotty Peterson. I'm still friends with him. Great guy. I love him. Hey, are you going to hit me? That was the other proposed name for that podcast was, um, are you going to hit me? Because there was always that negative energy I was talking about where I'm afraid of somebody hitting me. Oh boy. oh boy, talk about not so popular, not 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 too many listeners for this, but uh, that's fine. Mm. I don't know, what are, what are Vivants? Those are, that's some kind of a speed pill or something, I think. Um, I had stuff to say, I want to introduce the podcast well, I want the Healing Club to go well, I want it to go better than those other podcasts which never really existed, which are only in the mind of my memory. Does my memory have a mind? What am I talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about half the time with Sean Penalbar. He's here. It's a lot of esoteric talk about the funk. He talks about a theory of funk, white guy funk. Hey, don't make fun of it. It's a serious thing. Um, hmm. Let's see. I'm, I'm looking at an old... Um, uh, notebook as usual starting out this uh scatterbrained uh scattershot cast a wide net uh maybe these are jokes maybe it's just thoughts oh sad memories that's that works too podcast intro and uh some about maxine waters oh good for her she's a congresswoman um i'm gonna take an attitude uh crimped triangles of deep fried pockets of slow cooked spinach mustard greens and paneer, cumin, yogurt, tomato, fennel spice, leakage packs, dough containers, rooting for Martha, Martha Kelly, my favorite comedian up there. I would say Martha Kelly, probably one of my favorite comedians. And I also like samosas. Samosas are really good. Um, hmm. When the seasoning is just right, mm, that's something special. Uh, man, do you know what I don't like? I don't like fat turd piles. Don't give me that for dinner. Um, hmm. I, I like uh, I like clear glass. I like I like glasses that don't uh, fog up. I got some fog fog uh, spray for my glasses, so when I wear my pandemic mask, I don't get all fogged up and and and, and disgruntled when I'm uh, working at a restaurant serving samosas. I uh, I'm going back to work this week. Yeah, boy, life goes on. I don't know. I feel guilty. Why? It's 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 a it's no good feeling guilty, but it's also probably right. I don't know. Uh, guilt runs my life and rules my world. Mm. Does anybody go into San Antonio or Phoenix, Arizona? That's Charlie Pride. Uh, what am I even saying? Hmm. When I was 28, I used to have dreams about being back in the army. I'd feel, oh, boy, I was like, oh, well, that was a good choice. I, I, that's, I'm glad I did it. I, I went back to the army. I, I'm, I'm going to have all my debts taken care of. I'm 28. I'm going to, um, oh, God, I just my life is a financial mess, and I, and, I, and I just have to go back to the army. And I, All right, well, you know, in order to finish school, I'm 28. Why, I should be back in school already. I mean, God, I got to make a savings plan, and then. And then I'm all, shit, I'm in the army, deja vu. Oh, my God, I wake up. Oh, God. I just, oh, oh. 
there's that panic of back in the army dream. I had that back in the army dream all the time. And I was like, oh, fuck, I've committed myself to defending fascism. Fuck, why did I do it? I'm so selfish. Oh, this is a fascist country and I'm fighting for it. What's wrong with me just to go to college? Fuck you, Bob. You're a hateful person. And um, but then I'd wake up. So uh, this is not a fascist country. We have a, uh, a new president. It's a new day. The whole world is different, and we're all going to get along. Everything's changed. Everyone's happy. This is the Healing Club. I've got Sean Pinalbar on the show. He's pretty weird sometimes, but, you know, isn't everyone. I like him a lot, and we had a good time. It was a, it was a whirlwind of – it was good to let somebody else talk for a change. And – my name is Bob Morrissey. Blah, 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 blah. I hope you have fun listening to this bullshit. Oh, no. I hope you like it. I hope you actually like it. This is called The Healing Club. Thank you. not much editing it's just kind of uh how i start talking is just whatever uh sean penalver here that's me yeah he's here uh guest on the unfortunately titled and uh ridiculously named and um absurdly simpish healing club podcast which i don't know episode 41 or something now it's, it's not there. it's yeah. not it's not going away uh so um, you were asking what I thought of the podcast. I guess uh, you know you you've been listening to it. I do, yeah. The other day I well, like binged it. Like I went through like a ton of episodes of just like all the people that I know or mm-hmm. I've met, and it's just like I personally, my opinion of it is like a. I know you think you hate the name and stuff, mm-hmm. but I think it's a great name because it's serving its purpose on like you yourself. You're trying to go through this like healing. You know, you're you're on this path of direction or directionless you know it's kind of yeah. a directional yeah and it's, so it's a voyage of self-discovery yeah exactly mm-hmm. and healing isn't like it's not peaches and cream you're healing you have been hurt mm-hmm. and when you are healing th- from something you're still hurting you get what i mean you're not there yet you're not healed yeah uh but you are you are i felt pretty embarrassed by a few of the episodes i put out and I'm, that's why i've that's why i've kind of buried a lot of my what I consider to be the worst episodes in lots of content. And so I'm just recording as much as possible so I can forget that I put that out there or so that other people won't find it or that it, they'll put it in a context where uh, I guess he's not that weird. He had, yeah. uh, he had these five or six normal episodes where he was a decent person and then he just lashed out over some guy four years ago. Who cares? But I, I think, don't know. Like, I think that's what makes it so kind of special is because like there are – some of these like really great moments where you're like talking with people and y'all get into some like key points of just like what life is, you know, like how we are experiencing each other in life and our trauma and like our healing, you know, and then it'll just get into, because you're doing with comedians and like normal people, y'all just get into like, uh, the almost inverse of that, like where you're just like shooting the shit, you know, or like getting crazy. And it's like, I think that like, uh, juxtaposition is so almost like Hunter S. Thompson-ish oh, in a way. Yeah. In, 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 you yeah. get what I mean? And I think that like what you're doing is such a great documentation. Even even it, even if no one is listening, you know, like even if like five people are listening, I think that it's one of those things like, and I can relate it with my art and stuff. Uh, it's one of those things that like years down the line, someone's going to come across this. And it's going to mean a lot to them. It's going to influence them in a great way. Because, like, even uh, your podcast is online. It's everywhere. It's literally forever now. Unless the internet completely gets, you know, erased, uh, it will always be there. There will always be someone to just stumble across it. And so, like, that's what we see with a lot of history with artists and everything. You know, they get discovered later on. You know, like Mozart died a penniless pauper. They just threw him into a grave with a bunch of people. And now he's one of the most famous musicians of all time, you know? And I think that you have that drive. 
this is my personal opinion because I see the art that you do. You do so much art. You put out so much art. Uh, and it's good, you know, because you've had the talent and practice now. And then also your comedy, I think, is hilarious. You know, I'm just going to, like, raise no. you up right now. Um. Uh, but, like, really, I think I think it's so important what you're doing because I also am in a similar journey of, like, healing or, like, also trying to uh, – and it's a very difficult thing because what I have been attempting to do is essentially it, – it, it's a phenomenology. So, like, essentially – You'll often hear me talk about something that I call the funk, the funk, the funk. Okay. And so, what the is funk, it like the blues funk or like the dancey funk? So it is literally everything, mm, like Talking Heads funk, literally everything. Or... And so, uh, it what life is like if you break down us into atoms and energy, that is the funk. Like, and it goes beyond that. It keeps diving down into everything, all of time, all of history. That is the funk. That is what we're made of. And that is what everything is made of and everything is influenced by it. And we are it, you know, like if we, we as humans currently in time are essentially like evolutions of this funk. And now we're appendages, like as if we were like fingers or octopus tentacles, but we're intelligent. We have intelligence and sentience. And so we are feeding back to the funk and the funk provides for us because we're within it, you know, and we're helping it learn itself because it may or may not know what it is, but if as Einstein proved, time is an illusion, and so the past is happening during the present. And the, the past is essentially leading to the present uh, in the future. I can say that better. Semantics yeah. is also a, another thing, you know. Uh, but back to music and your question of why have I named it the funk? And so it's two reasons. One, because of the belief of almost uh, – it's the paradox of predeterminism and also individualism. And so the funk came to me across uh, several years. So I, I've had you draw on Drawbook. And so Drawbook I've been doing for eight years. And in that eight years, I've met over thousands of people. And those people I've just been talking with, just like so what Drawbook, you Drawbook, to catch anybody listening up on what Drawbook is, it's just you bring a book around and you ask people to draw in your book. Yeah. And uh, you work at the Manil Museum now, and uh, so you run into lots of people who like to draw. Yeah. So it's really, I think it's really cool to uh, capture, you know, little signature drawings of disparate groups of people, which is I also similar to I think what this podcast intention is is just to hear the voices of uh, a, a wide assortment of all the people that I know in the Houston comedy and art community, and uh, and just to listen to other people rather than just me because I got so sick of listening back at my comedy sets where I'm just saying the same thing and repeating the same punchlines and altering one or two words per performance. I don't really feel like I'm learning that much by listening back at myself unless yeah. I'm listening to how I'm interacting with other people. Um, and I think that's why it's so important to communicate with others. And it's hard for some people because there's anxiety. There's, there's a myriad of reasons. It could be literally anything because we're each individuals raised by our own atmosphere, which is essentially – uh, schizoanalysis. So psychoanalysis is the study of the mind and how it works. But schizoanalysis is why that is. And so it's the atmosphere. It's your environment that makes that brain what it is. From the moment of birth to the moment of now, you have been raised by your environment. And all the things that you think and believe are because of what you were around. Yeah, there are special things about uh, the human problems of the current era that, because I, we are organisms that are you know first showed up on the savannah plains of africa or whatever two or three million years ago i'm not really sure the exact date yeah so but point. we are biologically adapted to live a certain kind of nomadic life that just doesn't exist anymore and all of the um you know the the industrial revolution and all the, the technological changes that we take for granted in life in this current world uh is is foreign to our lizard brains mm -hmm. and, and we don't really know how to live the way that we you and, know think we are living and it is and it isn't because what i am observably and this is again <clears throat> my my own postulations uh based off of what my environment has taught me uh that we just as you're saying we have these uh instincts you know because we are these organisms and the species that like was meant to evolve in a certain way 
But now we're at this point in time with 2021. And so our species is mixing with our environment, with technology and everything, which has only been around. Uh, let's use the Internet, for example. It's only been around for like 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so we're still in that instance of like dealing with it, making all these rules and laws. And we're seeing how it's manipulating us and stuff. Just as if you look at with like uh, race and stuff, like all the issues that we're facing now with. I think race was a cultural construct, which was first kind of invented in the 1400s or something. Or even yeah, even but... further than that, because uh, slavery and servants have been around for hundreds of thousands of years, yeah. or as long as history but is. race-based you know. uh, white supremacy was a thing that was uh, kind of uh, invented in, you know, when the Americas were colonized. Yeah. So that you could, you know, tell the slaves apart easily by the color of their skin. And so only yeah. within the last 70, 80 years are we actually addressing those issues. Are are yeah. the people who have been wronged actually getting the right to speak? And we're still in that divide. And so we're going to be facing that within the next, like, you know, even more, uh, uh, 70 more years, you know, we're still within it. And so uh, tangent back to the funk uh musically when you were saying that oh it's like you know listening to music and stuff you can feel it and so you know when you're listening to like a just a song that really gets you and you kind of just feel it and you're just like mm -hmm. it makes you like move your body or nod your head you just like, like philip glass uh yeah i'm kidding or no it, it, literally any music but philip glass does like you know it's very yeah. beautiful music but i would relate this feeling more with like so philip glass would give me something called frisian where you get like goosebumps all over your body when you, mm -hmm. you hear that like, a certain sound or movement but the funk is essentially like when you are really into a song and it's like you're like driving your car, you know, singing out loud, nodding to it. And you feel this like tingle all over your body kind of up here, too. And you might even be experiencing it right now. Yeah. I was just listening to the, the Jackson Sisters, uh, I believe, in Miracles song. That was, that was a song that I was listening to when you walked into the apartment here. Uh, and, and, I was, and that was a little funky. Uh, so that bleeds into I think that everything happens for a reason and if you learn to study these patterns in life like that song could essentially have been telling you something or preparing you for this moment right now like literally that song could have been playing uh to uh, like basically feed you information uh to prepare you for what we're talking about hmm. and so there's often these relations to things uh that we don't really look for but are there and that is the funk essentially my postulation. So you don't understand us. why you're uh, drawn to certain songs or why something makes you feel a certain way, but do you feel like you like you have control over whether you're going to listen to something? Is that is there free will involved in whether you put something on a playlist? So I think it's uh, both. Yeah. I think that it it essentially you are choosing what you want to do, and now that. Uh, I and many physicists and other philosophers are are proposing these informations. And now that we have the internet and libraries and are able to share this information with thinkers like yourself and anyone listening, now it's like a level of paradoxical. Uh, we're aware that there's this predeterminism. So, like, essentially, the future is already happening. It's already just going on. And we, right now, are the ones causing it to happen. And so it's already been predetermined. Like, literally, yeah. if you look at the stars in the sky. It was always going to work out the way it did. There was uh, nothing you could have done to get the guy to love you. It goes or, both ways. <laughs> but there um, are. There are and yeah. stuff. It's just not the reality that you exist within. And so it's like having to deal with that. And what do you decide to do with every single moment? Uh, essentially, you are this kind of like God, but within this world that you don't have godlike powers yet. Because, I mean, if we amplify... Until you meld with the collective consciousness, yeah. then you become God when you're not yourself anymore, when you don't have a personal identity. Because essentially, like, we're there's humans no now. God, there's just us. That is very possible. Yep. And so, uh, again, if we bleed into uh, that idea of that there is no God, there's us. Right now, there's us. You know, we were created by something. You know, if you go back 13.8 billion years to the Big Bang, uh, we're all... Uh, essentially, the Big Bang like caused all this like carbon and nitrogen to happen. It was only like three elements after the Big Bang, and then all of those essentially transformed into the, all the elements that we see today. And so that all of that, all of the periodic table, is what creates us and everything in the cosmos. And so, if you amplify that by 13.8 billion years again, you know, down the line, 
then essentially if humans keep evolving and expanding, then yes, who's to say that we don't just become God and that we aren't able to uh, use the molecules and atoms and quote unquote the funk to basically look back at this moment. Like there, it is very, very possible that we could be not you and I, but essentially these beings in the future or even uh, not even humans, like in another cosmos doing it right now that we're just not connected with could just be watching us through literally the molecular atoms around our air because energy never. And there are dimensions you might not even realize. 100% the multiverse. And so that's where it comes off into the level of predeterminism versus individualism. Every action and decision is made. It's just the one that you're experiencing is your reality. And that's your multiverse. But when you look at other people, like terrible people like Hitler or somebody, Mm -hmm. are you like, uh, well, it was all predetermined and he's not responsible for the shitty things that he did? No, he 100% is, you know. But that's where it comes in in the predeterminism that had suffering has to happen for growth. Uh, there, if you remove suffering, then there is no love or anything. You don't know what life is like to not suffer. So there's no other balance. And so, like, if there's no suffering, then there's no joy, you know, mm-hmm. because you would just be in this eternal, like, uh, we don't have the word for it, you know, because there's not this state of that, you know. And so it suffering sucks. It's terrible in that and humans do it to each other. And that's what makes humans, like, kind of, bad at the moment but if we learn how to like again go back to schizoanalysis if we learn how to use technology rather to manipulate uh ourselves like they are doing right now the people who like are in charge of technology like advertising us and choosing what we like influencing what we do with our lives Mm -hmm. if we use that in a better way to basically like be able to if we if we see that there is trauma in people's lives or that they're not doing well you know and like like uh let's relate you and i for instance um we have our own fears and doubts and stuff with life and insecurities and, and stuff. Like, it's like, uh, what if I lose my job? You know, yeah. I, I, I won't be stable. Uh, and so it just causes all this stress and trauma. And there's ways to fix that, that we can literally help each other. But the thing is, is that those are in, who are in charge are not helping us because they want to keep continuing to take advantage. They're, they don't yeah. want that imbalance of power to, you know. There's, there's a reason why you feel like your world could be upended completely tomorrow and i think that's the thing that i was talking with a friend yesterday about the main cause of uh, mental illness in people is probably uh, the fear that tomorrow is not going to be the same as today that you're not going to be able to predict the future at all by you know your experience of today and that's what i think makes people crazy in our society is things change so quickly and outpace all of you know our our day-to-day life is just we're not adapted to it, as I was saying earlier. But oh god, somebody's calling me. I We're, can't talk. Sorry, I can't talk right now. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm gonna turn my phone off. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, do the same. But yeah, we're just in that transition, and we don't know how long it's gonna take because there's always going to be uh, that yin and yang of like good versus evil kind of thing. And and again, good and evil are perceptive because if you if you eliminate humans, you know. Mm-hmm. There is no good or evil. Like an, an asteroid smashing into the planet and destroying everything, that's not good or evil. It's just something that happens. You get yeah. what I mean? And so it, it, what we're doing as a human species is labeling the semantics of like, oh, this is good or this is evil. You know, mm-hmm. you shouldn't do these things or you should do these things. But again, it's still perspectively like these people with uh, mental issues or anything because it could even be like, not just nature or nurture kind of thing. It could literally be just a chemical imbalance that like causes these people to do things that, you know, aren't quote unquote good for humanity. And so, but now that we have technology, we could absolutely start attempting to go in and, you know, like CRISPR essentially uh, where they're like changing the DNA of like children. So like babies are born with blue eyes or, you know, like blonde hair. Wait, that's happening. Yeah, one hundred percent. You can I, like. I don't keep track of stuff that's happening in in our world. I'm like, I'm just more focused on the things I'm pissed off about. Yeah, and I'm only focused on my problems or what did Greg do? Those in charge yeah. want that to kind of be a distraction. Yeah. They want you to be more focused on like your day to day. Like, I have to survive, you know. But if we literally banded together and like did stuff, you know. Mm. Uh, we could go further, but it's just so divided. Uh, it's why so is hard. cooperation so difficult? I think that's the the problem. Like, 
other in this society in the united states it's just so hard to get everybody to cooperate it's this covid has been like the world's most difficult group project of like everybody try to wear a mask yeah. everybody try to abide by the you know normal rules nobody's doing it no, nobody's mm -hmm. nobody's uh acting like it's a real pandemic because i mean uh, we're still a year in and there are still people who just like come into the, the museum that i see every day and it's just like they either have to borrow a mask mm -hmm. they don't know how to use a mask mm -hmm. and it's a year in and i'm i'm still i suffer i you know i've hated this whole year just because of the uh the glasses issue jesus yes, christ dude, I, I wear glasses it sucks it sucks <laughs> like i'm getting contacts tomorrow but uh, oh. so that i can go back to work i hope that wasn't my job saying i'm supposed to be there right now <laughs> and i was like fuck you not not answering yeah well, i'll see, you, I'll see um, tomorrow. i think i'm supposed to be there on wednesday but but it's somebody from my job who's calling but she calls a lot about a lot of stuff so i don't know we'll but i'm pretty sure it was wednesday it was the day i was supposed to go back that's good. But now I'm sitting here completely insecure that I'm going to get fired. Oh, see, isn't that a feeling that, that causes yeah. trauma? Because it's like we don't know. Like if we make one mistake, our employers, and especially in Texas, because Texas is an at-will state. And so it's like they can fire you for anything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. And so it's like we have that fear every day. We wake up and it's just like, man, I could like uh, trip and fall down the stairs and then I can't go into work. And then my job's just like, oh, you know, sorry, we, we got to move on. Go and it's not going to be exactly that, but it's going to be, you know, something along yeah. the lines of, like, anything can happen. Uh, like, let's say uh, you get COVID. Like, here's something uh, that the past few weeks have really made me think of. Like, if you get COVID and have to quarantine and you don't have, like, family or friends to take care of you, you can't leave the house because they're forcing you to quarantine. And there's even, I think, some places where it's like if you go out and you're positive, you can get arrested. Mm. Or like a ticket or fine, you know. In the United States? Really? I, I could be miss, mm. you know. I like, know that's the way it is in like Australia. Yeah. So uh, it could not be here. Uh, so don't uh, quote me on that completely. But still the level of that, like say you have to quarantine for two weeks now, so you can't work. And so there are some jobs, you know, that could just be like, you know, we're going to move on. You know, you come back and like, let's say you have health issues now, like COVID causes you to like, you can't walk as fast or it causes you to get out of breath like really easily because it it destroys like your kind of insides in a way and so say you you quarantine successfully for two weeks uh if you quarantine successfully like if you have someone to bring you food you know and everything mm -hmm. because that's another expenditure and so you're not working for those two so weeks. many people just have no one yeah, yeah exactly so what worries me as an empath is like how are these people like how are they surviving like what are we doing you know as a society not as each of us you know but still yes each of us but what is society doing about this? And it seems that America is just like throwing us to the dogs, essentially. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm reading this book. Or the last few days, I've been reading a book that I'm really enjoying. He's one of my favorite novelists, Russell Banks. I've, I'm closing, I'm closing up toward the end this Lost what? Memory of Skin novel, and it is so harrowing and dark. And uh, and it's about a, uh, it's about a kid who. Um, well, I'll spoil the surprise. No, you were he's, talking about yeah, it in Megan Good. He yeah, was like yeah. a sexual abuser. Yeah, he. What he did was he was 21 years old, kicked out of uh, the army for you know distributing pornography to other soldiers, and mm -hmm. which I don't know if that element of the book is very believable, but whatever. And uh, he just, but uh, he's very unworldly and kind of addicted to porn eight hours a day jacking it 10 times a day just uh just his whole life is just porn and it has been since he's 10 years old and he has never really made a connection to anyone he doesn't know how to express himself or um you know have any kind of emotional bond to anyone other than through porn mm -hmm. and um he's on a chat room and and there's somebody who poses an eight, as an 18 year old that he starts talking to and then he figures out that she's younger than 18. He's 21. He looks like he's 14, but he's 21. And he makes plans to meet this 14-year-old uh, girl, knowing that she's 14. And then he gets arrested. And then he's a sex offender, convicted. And, and it's just about how tough it is to live as a convicted sex offender. I where you can't live within so many feet of any school or any place where children gather. And so in this community where he lives on this uh, Florida area like there's only one place where he can go and then the cops are constantly raiding his uh, only like he's homeless living in a tent and then he gets like harassed and uh moved around by police and uh and you know his 
when you think you you know it's just unimaginable how mm-hmm. terrible life can get mm-hmm. and and how alone a single person can be and um and then his makeshift life of just it's sort of like a huck finn story almost it's like it's, it's supposed to like uh mirror huck finn because through this horrible experience of living with an ankle bracelet on that he's responsible for keeping charged and you know for 10 years uh and like uh he's he's uh he and and being monitored and and being labeled like it's it's really hard for him to work anywhere because people know what he's done and uh and but the uh the the experience of going through all that you know he finally develops a, a personality and and a sense of agency and a little bit of a uh talent for reading people and understanding the world around him just even though it's nothing you would want to go through yeah. nobody and it, and it was something he brought upon himself by trying to fuck a 14 year old yeah. girl but but it <laughs> like let's say it's someone else or like anyone yeah. anyone who like does something bad right mm-hmm. and, and like let's go to any degree of level this person has you know uh, either guilty or not mm. now they're in jail or being punished or something like that what like the thing that I see society, like, you know, doing is like, there's no good rehabilitation for these people. Like, yeah. there is still a like, there there is this. Uh, is there this chance you, you know, just want to punish in this society? Yeah. It's like, but anybody anybody helping? who is suffering, you want to fucking make it worse. Yeah, you see homeless people, you're like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, I'm crossing the street, you're disgusting. How does that help? I hate you know, you. Yeah, I don't know. If, like, no, I get it. It's these prejudices <laughs> uh, that we're all like, kind of right into us at this point and so it's like let's say like john wayne gacy or something like that like they catch him or uh, oh man no who's that guy that kept uh, escaping ted bundy yeah ted bundy it's like he kept he was such this like uh the way his brain worked you know he's like he could manipulate people to do these things and so it's like how do you actually do that like are we are we as a society actually trying to learn to help people like this or were we just like you know putting them in jail and letting them you know exist and try to figure it out for themselves because they won't you know yeah. and especially if we're treating them like prisoners and putting them in a cage those issues in my opinion are only going to get worse because isolation is terrible for anyone silence or um yeah you know i was uh, I, I read this this book about a month ago called the age of anger and there was a uh, past. There was just a little anecdotal kind of uh, story in it that really moved me uh, about Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, somehow being placed in the same maximum security prison as uh, uh, Ramsey Youssef, who was one of the plotters and uh, who committed the World Trade Center bombing of 1993 that didn't blow up the World Trade Center, but he was still in a maximum security prison for life. And what are the odds that those two would be in cells next to each other and they would be their only company for years? Yeah. And the two of them are like, they, you know, never got to speak to each other face to face, but like through the wall, they could talk. And, uh, and neither one had ever met anyone with a personality so similar <laughs> to himself. <laughs> I bet they became like best friends. <laughs> yeah, how like, crazy is that? That is like, insane. And I think that, again, I think. But what if one of them was like, I'm not talking to you? Oh my for god! Like years. Just this whole vendetta of like uh, uh, those two families that like fought each other, the, what, the Hatfields and McCoys. Oh okay, but it's th- just them in prison, just like <laughs> <laughs> dividing the entire half. Yeah. Um, I mean, in that context, I'm like, I think it's kind of good that they were able to talk to each other and that they were able to share a. Yeah, they're two hideous kind of people who uh, you know like kill others, yeah. and you know they're. Uh, but uh, but there's something good about them being able to talk to each other. Yeah, in a controlled environment. But some people would be like, oh. no, like they they should be like put in a, a cell, like locked off from everyone, like all of humanity and stuff. But it's like, does that really help? Because it's like that's show. Uh, I mean, it also goes into like. Uh, mur- like back in the day when like you did a crime they would just murder you you know and so it's like you, you you're wiped mm. out you know you can't breed anymore you can't breed any more criminals and stuff and that puts fear into other people of like oh man i shouldn't you know do these things or else i'm going to get slayed by the king but then mm. there's that level of fear that like causes you to fuck up you know yeah uh it, it's just all these paradoxical things of just like how have, humans have you work. ever do you do you like watching uh old movies and stuff 
Yeah, I love. I have love you movies. ever have you ever seen an old movie called Senso, a Lucino Visconti movie with uh, Farley Granger? Uh-uh. It's this Italian film that's. Um, it's about a guy who uh, seduces an older woman, and uh, she kind of ruins her life trying to um, make his life better. And uh, um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm spoiling the whole movie by uh, <laughs> by by encapsulating it in a t- one minute plot yeah. summary. But uh, yeah, basically, she you know she gives everything she has to save his life and to keep him from having to fight in a war that he doesn't believe in. And, you know, she dishonors her whole country just to save his life. It's like the giving. And then, and then, uh, and then when, um, and then toward the end of the story, she like, uh, like she catches him like fucking somebody else. Oh my God. And, uh, and then he's like real shameless about it. Like, fuck you whore. Fuck you whore. Bitch, it's, I never loved you, whore. Yeah. I was just using you. And so this, she's like, "Oh, fine." And then she goes and tells on him, and then, uh, and then he's like executed. And, <laughs> and um, that's good revenge. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Is it worth it? Was it? Did he really never care about her? And is her life better for having you know had this man executed? Is this uh, you know what? What's the uh, like? Why do we do this dance? So what's the <laughs> There, I don't have an answer, but the what what the funk the studying the funk has told me is essentially mm-hmm. that that had to happen so that we could talk about it, so that we could analyze mm-hmm. it. You get what I mean, and grow yeah. from it. It was just a fictional story, but, but any any know. story or any yeah. moment like those like people create these things that influence the rest of history and the rest of the future. You know, and so uh, that was you saw that movie so that we could talk about it right now today. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, just like I heard that song, and just like I, just like I, I lived here. It does. I mean, it's so easy to retrofit, a, you know, like a like a to look back on your life and then you know organize it in your head yeah. so it so it unfolds like a Victorian novel, where where each moment leads to the next action, and yeah. then. But I don't think that things are organized that way i think everything is a little more chaotic and you make it's, sense it's out of you know what you're doing uh, i think i think it's absolutely 100 percent both and i'll say that about everything because like literally life is this mm. paradox of just like anything and everything happening like there there uh, with quantum entanglement essentially so there's essentially you have let's say a particle right like one particle and then you have another particle that's quantum entangled with this particle mm-hmm. and it could be literally on the opposite side of the the universe right whatever this first particle does like let's say it turns positive the other particle will inverse that it'll become negative so like uh it's it'll always be like that and so depending on the observed state of reality so like if you flip a coin both happen all happen like the coin lands on its side the coin disappears all of this happens just in our reality we observe the coin either landing on heads or tails yeah and so in the other reality that's still uh, supposedly happening. We're just not within it. So if I live in a reality w- in which I get exactly what I want just by thinking it and just by wanting it, uh, is the sweetness of that uh, desire satisfied only uh, important to me as I'm feeling it because of all those other realities in which I'm denied and I suffer and I, and I have to go through the angst of you know longing and, and not understanding and never having an answer. Or yeah, you know. what what do you think would be better? Like, let's say that you were in this like state of nirvana where everything's being like handed to you, and you never you never suffer any level of trauma. Mm-hmm. You get what I mean? Like, you yeah. everything is perfect. Everybody's nice to you. You're always rich. Would would you even yeah. like notice it? You know, like everything would essentially be like gray. Like, would there? Would you figure out ways to make your life hell anyway? Yeah, uh, <laughs> and I think that that like would be very very like possible like i think that that if someone were to write a twilight episode zone uh a twilight zone episode where like this happens you know like they're in this perfect yeah. world i think they would eventually find this way to like self-sabotage self-sabotage and uh, for suffering to exist and then now that suffering exists yeah. there's no going back uh-huh. uh so you listen to that one episode with megan good so what we were talking about in that episode was about how confused you can be when you're going after something you think you want when it's totally what you don't want. 100%. 
Yeah. Uh, it's that level of fantasy, just like as you were saying. Like it's you're like, man, I I really want this thing, uh, and then you get it, and it's like, oh, like a <laughs> like a dog chasing a car, like that saying, like uh, once it catches it, doesn't know what to do with it. You know, like it's not yeah. like it's gonna get in and drive it and be like, wow, this is what I wanted. You know? Yeah, like, but it will be cool. It will be cool if a dog could catch a car. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like just grab it, move it around and stuff. Yeah, if dogs were that strong. Uh, Asher Womack is in Clifford the Big Red Dog, and it should be exciting to see uh, Clifford catch a car. I've heard of that. Well, yeah, well, he was talking about that last time he was in town. Uh, when is that coming out? I think this year. Uh, really? Yeah. I, oh. I saw, like, they have a trailer for it now or something like that. Oh. And I was like, wow, you know, like, it's, it's real. It's happening. Because, like, COVID is just putting all these movies behind. That sucks. Yeah, I was so excited for him. Uh, Ashton. Uh, yeah, no, all these Houston comics. Like, uh, so... I started uh, comedy in Houston, let's say, like, five or six years ago. Uh, and I started stand-up. And at this time that I was doing it, I was sober. And so um, I met, like, all these people and stuff, and I really enjoyed it. And I did a few, like, sets and stuff, and I did a bunch of open mics. And I, But I, what I really wanted was, like, to get into the shows, you know, as every amateur does. And yeah. so... So you wanted to do comedy so you could go to comedy. That's kind of why I started yeah. comedy. Right? I thought it was fun. Because I love entertaining shows. people. Yeah. My entire life I've like enjoyed entertaining people. And so I started doing stand-up, and I started doing the open mics, and I met like uh, Andrew Youngblood and Zaid and all of them and stuff. And I, I kept trying to meet the – and through Drawbook and also stand-up, I kept trying to like you know get in, like be like, hey – what more do I need to do to like get in on a show? Cause like, I want to, you know, get paid and do this professionally, move on because I know that I have the skills to do it. Uh, but then it bled into the issue of just like, everyone was always like, Oh, I just need to see you at another stand up or open mic. It's like, you just got to uh, keep doing it. You got to yeah. keep doing it. And that is absolutely truth. But, uh, I would go to these shows and I would sign up for a good spot. And then I'd get pushed back to like midnight cause uh -huh. everyone would like bump their friends and stuff. And so it was just like, also again, I was sober. And so that was just like the atmosphere of everyone was like always drinking or there's yeah. like, you know, drugs involved. Excruciating. And it must be so boring. At yeah. that time, it wasn't boring. It was just like I was trying, it wasn't the life that like, not even the life. It was just like I was trying to figure out some things and like, you know, grow. And drugs and alcohol were like out at the moment and for me. And so it was just like I found improv. So I went to that community. And so. How long did you uh, do improv for? I'm still doing improv. Well, oh, uh, okay. not like Through every beta day now. or station. Uh, uh, so I did beta for like a long time. Uh, Jeremy let me basically uh, audit. And so I basically was like a, a self-help, not self-help, like, like a teacher's assistant through mm -hmm. for a bunch of classes. So I just like took every class I could for a while. And then I moved to station eventually. And that was for like a few years. And so then I got on the beta troupe, uh, Max and stuff. Uh, and then I did station for a, a long time. I graduated there. I was on several troops there. Uh, but now what I'm doing is comedy sports still. Oh, okay. And so we still do some, like, online shows every once in a while. It's not as much as uh, I'd like it to, but they're picking back up. Yeah, it's hard to do stuff with live audiences. Though. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I definitely want to go back to stand-up and stuff, but I think that it was just, like, where did I want my time and focus to be? But I have a ton of jokes, you know, like, and my sets were, like, usually good. Like, I never had a bad set. And I actually, like, took all of my stand-up sets and all of the recorded improv sets that I have, uh, and I actually made an album because I also compose music. Uh, I actually just finished my 70th album. 70? 70? Yeah, seven, 70th oh. album. Uh, are they all on Spotify? Uh, not all of them. Like, the first 50 are not because they're, like, that was me, like, you know, figuring out who I was and everything. But definitely the last, like, 30 or 40 or wow. on Spotify uh, or worldwide, everything. Which instruments do you play all? Uh... Uh, so the project started – I was trained in percussion in middle school and high school mm. uh, and some in college. Uh, but this project was uh, originally minimalism of bass guitar and drums. And then it has since evolved into synthesizer and drums, uh, but mostly all electronic. And it's not music – that is you're going to find on the radio I, what i'm trying to do as an artist is pioneer sound like essentially like if aliens you know or something were to come through and you know like play us their music or something like that uh, i'm trying to like you know expand the mind of what is music because where we're at in music history 
is we've had like all like the last 50 60 years uh producers have perfected the art of like making appealing music that sells to individual it's like something catchy you know or poppy they they know the formula that works and that sells and now they have all these artists that are just plants essentially like they're the image behind the art and yeah some of these plants do help compose the music but the people behind it the ones who polish it up they're the ones that make that sell and so what i'm trying to do as a composer and artist is essentially like move us out of that because it's like that's not what music is it is music but that's not like there's so many people like when I post my stuff online, the biggest feedback that I got the first few years was like, what is this? You know, like this, mm. this isn't music. Where's the chorus? You know, where's the blah, blah. And it's like, that's not what I'm doing. You, you know? know, one thing I was thinking about coincidentally earlier today was, well, I, I, I've been doing this one joke because I, I, me and my friend Stephanie, we came up with a list a couple months ago of uh, the 25 worst songs to fuck to. Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing you talk about that. But, but uh, you know, like I think worst song ever to fuck to, no matter who you're fucking, is Dude Looks Like a Lady by Aerosmith. Because you know, that dude looks like a lady. Yeah, a woman doesn't want to be told that if you're doing a... Yeah. <laughs> but, and then if you are bringing a uh, trans person into bed, you're not going to turn that on and go, oh, oh hi, not. you want to hear your song? Like, but, but anyway, so the, uh, I think like Beatles are high on the list of worst songs to fuck to in my head. Just I don't. I used to love the Beatles. I used to. I used to, yeah, I used to. Yeah, like why don't we do it in the road? That'd be so awful. But um, and you're in the shower. Yeah, yeah. The Beatles are you know they're undeniably great and they always have been. And I still love a lot of you know Paul McCartney solo Ram or mm-hmm. you know George Harrison All Things Must Pass. I can listen to some certain albums still, but most of it is just oversaturated and bleached of all kind of meaning but um because of just so much repetition of of, of and i don't think i think that's maybe just my age i'm 41 and you've heard these songs I, yeah, yeah but uh the uh the there's also a thing where like i, I think the beatles vision turned out to be a total ripoff this whole like uh feeling of love and the, no, they, safety they, and, and, they basically you know, uh all you need is love. Oh no, no! There's so much more you need than love. They're the ones. Who... <laughs> it's not gonna solve anything yeah. if you are still, you know, desperately poor. Yeah, <laughs> or anything, like, you know, uh, like mentally yeah. unwell. Yeah, you know, have PTSD. Yeah, they, they basically the Beatles uh, went to India and they learned all these principles and philosophies, and then they brought it back to America in the '50s, and that's they're the ones who popularized it. Like they brought the whole movement of like just yoga and all these things, you know, in like the '70s, uh, because. Uh, those things just like you know they didn't have the internet or the TV to like see that this was going on in India unless you like went to India and so they're the ones who like they're these famous people yeah. and they bring back these principles but I do have a song or a lot of my music yeah. would probably go on your playlist of uh, songs bad songs to fuck to uh, <laughs> and back to the yeah. track that I was talking about that I used my stand up sets and my improv sets I basically removed all the dialogue and left all the laughter in spot so it's just all like people laughing throughout this thing and it, so it's basically like 15 shows layered onto each other. And then like the oh, laughs. You use them for your music. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And so the laughs are just coming out and it's basically called laugh. And it's just like people laughing. And then also like the laughs are looping themselves. That would be a, a terrible thing to fuck to because oh. it's just 30 minutes of people laughing at you. Yeah. Don't laugh at my dick. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh at my body. <laughs> yeah. my, my right nipple is sensitive. Well, yeah. Laughing, laughing during sex can be pretty fun, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, usually, it's more. I don't know. <laughs> Depending but, on what you're laughing at, I guess. Yeah, I had a nice hookup uh, a couple months ago, or just some guy came over and we watched the Alfred Hitchcock movie Psycho. And, oh wow! And it was fun to just like sit around all day watching movies and making out and like watching Psycho. And Psycho is just. It's a great movie. It's fun to watch, mm-hmm. but like some of the psychology is a little bit corny, mm-hmm. and it it was you know, um, and it was only a one day hookup. But I don't know. I don't know what you know. Like, I wonder what that's like in that guy's head. Cause, yeah, you know, I never talked to him. I probably never will talk to him again. I love sondering stuff like that. It's like how did <laughs> how did you feel about this experience? And then like if you try to ask someone to like be like. For just science, you know, or like philosophy, just like, hey, how did you feel about this? You never actually know if like that's what they're telling you. Excuse me, uh, what's actually on their mind, you know? Like because we can't read each other's brains, you know. Yeah, and what you think you're sharing is something totally different from what 
the other person is going through. Because That's of awful. also semantics too. Like Ugh. I could say uh, uh, any sentence, and the way that you interpret that is completely different than the way that I was meaning it. You know. Yeah. Oh, and I hate it when people tell my jokes. Oh, really? Yeah, I always hate that. Oh, uh, but that, I, I think like in. An yeah. idea I had before I came was like if I, I brought some jokes and I was gonna have you read them because I think that like if someone tells a joke that's if, if, if someone tells your joke and it's mm -hmm. still funny, then doesn't that make it a great joke? Uh, it could in a way, you know, like because yeah. that means that like someone could take this joke and sh <clears throat> and share it essentially. Yeah. But there's, uh, I was I was talking the other day with a friend and we were, I was saying that. One of the uh, when I started stand up, one of the most inspirational and, and eye opening experiences I had watching live comedy was going to the improv and getting in free because I, I was doing comedy, so I Jealous. got to go to any comedy show for free at the time. I don't think they let yeah. comics do that no, anymore. Not anymore. But um, I I went to go see Richard Lewis, and I really loved seeing Richard Lewis live. I never really cared for him as a comedian uh, because. It, it was just the way that he controlled the crowd and the way that he reacted to the crowd's reaction. And then it just seemed like everybody was sharing his instincts. So if mm. you um, transcribe the exact words that he was saying, nobody else would make it funny. I get what you mean. It was, the, yeah. it was only the experience of watching him think through these ideas, which was delightful and, and really funny and uh, like one of the best comedy shows of ever seen and i went and saw I, I went and saw all four shows that he did that weekend just to see what each show was like and each one was totally different because he was <sighs> just like i think those are the my favorite comics because yeah. uh I, the thing that i did see when i was definitely going through all the open mics and stuff was just like how many people had the same sets every time but i get that because it's like they're they're honing this set you know they're trying to make this great well, 15 minutes when or five somebody's minutes. trying to get booked that's what they're trying to accomplish exactly. is the same set every time and so and what i was trying to do myself is essentially like just i and this is i don't know if it would have been like constructive or not but essentially i i as a stand-up comedian wanted to have a different set every time or uh, like train myself to and i, I kind of want to go back and i've been thinking of this before covid i was going to like start doing open mics and stuff uh because now i have the level of improv to where it's like i kind of just want to get on the stage unprepared you know yeah. and just do it and just like just talk to the audience and just do what we're doing now essentially but like in a more stand-upish yeah. way because it is an open mic you know well i've been doing that a little more often going up a little kind of uh loosey un loosey goosey unprepared if it's a uh, open mic i don't really care about if i want to do well i'll, I'll, I'll plot yeah, out a set exactly uh, but i've always gone up with different bullet points and and an exact plan and then i'll work loosely through the the keywords uh, and then if one joke didn't work then i'll skip like the one joke that was supposed to depend on that joke working or the oh, other mm -hmm. but like but there have been a lot of sets where i've gone up and it's like okay i wrote eight things down to perform and uh, i had uh 10 or 12 minutes and i get through all eight things in five minutes and then i'm just standing there going what do i do now yeah and uh and and then i look at the plan and the plan kind of like locks me or like closes my mind yeah, rather yeah. than like because <laughs> you're like hesitating now because well i just don't think anything it's not like i've never written anything else but i get i went through the whole plan and i just can't think of anything else yeah. even though i've written thousands of jokes i've like but uh but i'm like yeah like or i've told all sorts of stories but now i just i i i'm i'm trying to be a little more like uh free form and, and trying to draw from every single joke I've ever written or like decide in the moment, like what I'm going to do before um, committing to the plan. Like yeah. earlier in the day, I'll write the plan out while I'm watching the crowd or if, like uh, just, just so they can do something that's appropriate for the room. Yeah. Cause you have yeah. that experience now. Yeah. And so uh, I, I have always enjoyed your sets. I think like the, the subject matter that you have is very like, at least unique in this moment, you know, you, you talk about a lot of like, uh, kind of uncomfortable gay things, you know, but they're also, you make it like really funny. Like, uh, one of my favorite jokes, and you said something really funny the other day that was just like, so out of, off the wall, the, when I get drunk, my boner turns upside down or something oh, like that. that my boner me, gets the spans. Oh my gosh. I don't, yeah. I don't know that what made that me laugh. even means. Like, uh, so hard. <laughs> it didn't uh, mean anything. And another one I remember from a set is like something about like, uh, pooping gives you an erection. And, oh, yeah. and so it's like you can't take a shit without like 
hitting the toilet. Oh yeah, I don't I don't like those loose shits. I like the the hard know, shits. Yeah, yeah stool uh, hardeners instead of stool softeners. That's just so. Such an observation mm-hmm. that like straight people, you know, aren't gonna even have thought yeah. of, you know. And no, so, I think straight people think of it always. Yeah, they're, they're always. Every time I do an open mic, or I was, yeah, you know, like I, I see straight guy after straight guy talking about gay panic and their gay brother or somebody gay they know or what if somebody thought I was gay or oh my god this happened that was kind of gay right but I'm not gay. Just get over it's it. Like, I don't care. Also, you're ruining my set. I wanted to go up and be a real gay guy, and now everybody's bored with hearing about every single man talking about gay, uncomfortable, you know, sex stuff. I think keep going, man. <laughs> keep yeah. doing it. Like, it, it's very kind of like Andy Kaufman, you know, like how he was able to, like, make a, people uncomfortable in the most hilarious way of just, like, even if he just stood there in silence. Like, mm. I, I think that that kind of stuff is so – it's this inverse of just like when you're analyzing comedy and the greats and stuff like i think that you when you see moments like that and i think you do it too because like i think that like your comedy is just so uh let's semantics is hard so i'm trying to think of the words to like describe it but let's say advanced in a way like i think that like if we look back at your comedy in like 20 years or so it's going to be like, oh my gosh, this is so funny, you know? And like, even 20 years from now, you're still going to be writing jokes, and I think those jokes will be even funnier, you know? I'm uh, hoping to maybe just talk about, like, you know, food and driving or, you know, just common cat stuff. comedy, kind of like, you know, benign universal things. I think it's, that, I think, like, that the more you do it, the more you're like, what, let's see if I can, you know, write as well as Jim Gaffigan writes about yeah. everyday normal things. Yeah. And, um, because that matches with everyone, the, a, a broader audience. Yeah, and you can say it to children, or you can so you can you know, appeal to anyone who's like a thinking person, rather than like uh, saying stuff that's gonna like uh, oh shock everyone. I I I love shocking people. I love I love doing things that are you know scary for the audience. I don't know. Maybe I'm. It depends just, on maybe how I'm you a little do it. sadistic, but uh, but I think sometimes that plays out so well. Like it's almost funnier than like a, a regular joke and i think that sometimes those like uh it depends on the level of shock humor because there are some comics that like will do shock humor where it's just racism or sexism or something like that but i think that your shock humor is more like you'll say something and then it's like you'll the audience will sit on it for a second and then just be like oh my gosh like that is so funny you know what i mean it's the payoff that of just like it builds in and you were talking about that with tommy drake on just like the level of a clean comedy versus like yeah of, of like he, he was saying like well when did you start watching comedy when i was nine when i was ten and so why should i be afraid to speak to a nine or a ten year old yeah yeah, yeah. yeah why, why is, do i think they're different that is why, so true uh, oh boy hey we're 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 at the uh, 52 minutes here this wow. and so so i like to make every episode about an hour and i do a little uh time before the episode i don't know are those weird those segments that i do before the episode? no oh, I, okay. I, th- I think it adds to it and then you also used to play music sometimes too like. yeah, a couple of them but then you can only put it out on the spotify yeah. platform so um but anyway sean uh thank you for being on the show what do you want to promote what do you want to talk about for people to follow you on or uh if you're if you're listening and you'd like to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Art of Ceilings. I take photos of ceilings. I've been doing that for about five years now. It's a ton of photos. Uh, you can go to drawbook.net, which we talked about a little bit, uh, and look at all the photos of over thirteen thousand original drawings uh, from anyone and everyone. Uh, my music is at Hood a Thunk. Uh, that's W H O apostrophe D space A space Thunk T H U N K question mark. Uh, I have 70 albums. You can find those everywhere online. Uh, if you're looking for everything, that would be on Bandcamp or YouTube. Or if you're just on Apple Music or Spotify, it's all the more recent episode uh, albums. Uh, 68 should be coming out uh, a few days ago, but I'm running behind on the album cover, so that will come out any days now. Uh, and then 69 will come out on Valentine's Day, and that is about 69, the number and the position and everything. And then 70 is, uh, I'm very excited for people to hear, uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then also, if you're interested in my uh, writings on the funk and stuff, I have, I have about a 200 page, uh, book right now that I've been writing, uh, or a dissertation about all these ideas, and it's essentially a collection of uh, 
of life like kind of philosophy just like if anyone were like be like how do i learn more about life then you could come to this book and it will you know take you to different places and you know help teach you things that you may have never you know even like thought about and so you can just uh find that link on my uh because it's free i'm not going to sell these and things unless i make a book about it but uh i would love to hear anyone's thoughts about it because that's what really helps this grow is this feedback right here it's communication yeah. and feedback 100 percent. and then if you just want to run into sean go to the manil yeah collection uh, i'll uh, be yeah. in some of the galleries you know it's different every week so you never know when you find me right. well thanks for coming this thanks is, bob this is a really good one thank you <laughs>